Oh Lord our God, we worship you as our King, our Redeemer, our Creator, and indeed our Judge. We ask now, Lord, that you would grant us grace to understand your word, and you would give me the grace I need to explain your word, so that we all might be built up in our common Christian faith. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, as we continue in the book of Ephesians, and if you'd like to turn there, it's on page 1037. I spoke on the first two verses last week, but I'd like to begin with part of verse 2 again this week. To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, I touched last week on that word saints, but it's a very important word for us to truly get ingrained in us. Because... This is who the letter is written to, to the saints in Ephesus. As I mentioned, we have fairly good evidence that this was meant to be a circular letter, because Ephesus was such an important town. The letter was to be circulated to the other churches, a very important communication. Saints. Saints. Now, I challenged you last week, I didn't challenge you, but I told you this last week, that you could sometime this past week tell somebody, Hi, I'm a saint. Did any of you do it? I see no hands. That's okay. It would be a rather odd thing to tell somebody, I'm a saint. I'm a saint. Especially if they knew you, right? Because then they'd be able to recount everything that you had done just that day in the workplace. Well, how about nine this morning? You weren't a saint then. Yes, I was. Well, what about right now? You're bragging. Yes, I am. You see, if you understand the word and the concept properly, it makes sense. If you misunderstand the word or the concept, it will make no sense whatsoever. A saint is a special person. It is a special group of persons. But it's not quite what most people think. A saint is not perfect. These people in Ephesus were not perfect. They didn't have perfect knowledge. How do we know that? Well, because Paul's going to teach them an awful lot in the first three chapters. We know they're not perfect in behavior because in chapters 4 through 6, he's going to tell them a lot of things to do. The letter is literally divided. One of the few letters that's divided perfectly well. You know, the verses in the chapter headings are not inspired. They were put there to help us read. But after chapter 3, when you move into chapter 4, the letter takes a whole different tenor. Now Paul is not really talking about what is, but what we are to do because of what is. But it's really based upon who God is and who we are in God's eyes. If you're a Christian, you are a saint. You are set apart for God's service. You have things in your home or in your workplace that are set apart for special occasions, correct? You might have special china. It wasn't really, honestly, until this past holiday that I realized that china actually was made of a certain material, and that's why they called it china. It had never dawned on me um, that I'm like, oh, this is made of bone. And the lady said, well, yes, sir. Um, All all of these are. That's why we call them fine china. I said, oh, oh, okay. 
Of course, I got the prices wrong, too. I thought, oh, this is a good price. And I realized, oh, that's the price for five of them. So if we go for eight, eight sets of these, I'm like, oh, we're in, we're in four figures here. No, 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 this is not the section I want to shop in. China. Yeah, fine China, set apart. You only bring it out on special occasions. Why? Because it, it chips and because it's so expensive. Maybe you have a set of old silverware, true silver, that you only bring out on special occasions because it was grandmother's, possibly. Or, more likely, you can't just toss it in the dishwasher. You really do have to scrub that stuff to get it, to get it shiny. And if silver doesn't look shiny, it really looks lousy. Then it looks like you're eating off of a pewter, which is perfectly fine, but it's not silver. Maybe some of you men, or maybe even some of you women, have tools that you don't use that often. But when you need it, you have to have it, and you get it set apart. That is who you are. That is who we are. We are set apart by God. We are set apart for God. And that's the way it will always be. If you understand that about yourself then your view of yourself, to use modern language, your self-image will completely change. It will not matter what anybody thinks of you. Because in God's eyes, you are a saint. You are set apart, consecrated, sanctified for a specific purpose. Now, the church, all of us, have a general purpose. What is man's chief end? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But each of us as individuals has a specific purpose in this life. To the best of my knowledge, no one in this church works in the same workplace. Correct? In the main? Nobody works together. A few. But if someone's called to be a lawyer and they're a Christian, and there are Christian lawyers, and another person is called to be a Christian fireman in a city where they actually get paid to be a fireman, they're both equally the same. They're saints in God's eyes. They obviously have different jobs in the world. But they are to perform those jobs in exactly the same way. In a holy way. In a way that glorifies God. You young people, you students, do you know what your job is in this world? I just said it. You're a student. That is your job. 40, 50, 60 hours a week, depending on how well you want to do the job. Six days a week. Monday through Saturday. Wouldn't it be nice if you went to school on Saturday? Have I gotten your attention now? Saturday school. Summer school. Hey kids, if you haven't noticed, mom and dad don't get the summer off. They keep working. Some of them work extra hours in the summer. You're a student. And you're a saint. So how should you be a student How should you act around the other students? Very, very differently. The words that come out of your mouth should reflect who you are. They have to reflect 
the glory of the God who has created you, the God who has saved you, the God who has set you apart. I want you to think about that. The God of all the universe has set you apart. He has set his people apart for a special purpose. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Were any of you ever the teacher's pet? Don't raise your hand. I'm looking at a few of you and I'm guessing no. And you know what? That's the way it is in most churches. Those who are well don't need a physician, correct? Isn't that what Jesus said? Those who are well don't need a physician. Those who are well do not need a physician. But we've admitted through the confession of sin that we need a physician. We need an operation. We need a heart transplant. That's what we need. We need a desperate blood transfusion. The blood of Christ needs to cover our sins. The Lord our God needs to give us a new heart, a living heart. As the prophet said of old, a heart made of flesh, not of stone. You ever wonder where we get that phrase, he's hard-hearted? It's biblical. Hard-headed is actually as well biblical. But hard-hearted literally means that, that you have a heart of stone. It's not a compliment, by the way. He's hard-hearted. She's hard-hearted. He's soft-hearted. She's soft-hearted. You're neither. If you're a Christian, you're living-hearted. Now that sounds kind of strange. But you have a live heart in you, and God has given it to you. He's given you new life. He's given you the new birth. He has set you apart. Do you get that? So now what do we automatically do with that? You've been given this great gift, this incomparable gift by the creator of the universe. Imagine if someone that you truly respected, truly loved, a favorite relative, a favorite aunt or uncle or favorite grandparent, gave you this amazing gift that nobody else in the family had received. Really set you apart. Put you, for one thing, you'd probably be a little embarrassed. Your brothers and sisters might be mad at you. Why did you get that and I didn't get that? Sometimes that happens when wills are read. Oh, you got that and I didn't get that. I didn't get anything. I wasn't there. What would you do if that favorite relative who everybody looked up to gave you the one thing that everybody wanted and set you apart completely from the crowd? Like a raven in the snow. Have you ever seen a raven or a crow in in, in a field covered with white snow? You see the thing right away. Total contrast. Last night, did you look out and see the moon? You know, almost, almost looked like sunshine, didn't it? And we looked down and said, wow, we see, a sh- we see the house's shadow at 11 o'clock at night. It's very nice. It was, it was nice. Tried to take a photo of it and it didn't come out very well, but iPhone 6s can only do so much. Set apart, different, should be a contrast in who you are. And I think the reason why there isn't a contrast between who we are and who others are in the the world is because we don't know that God has given us this great gift. He's given us this great gift. Now, back to my question. Here's what you would first do. You'd first say thanks, wouldn't you? 
first you'd probably say hamana, hamana, hamana. Then you'd look around, and then you would tell the person, thank you. When you receive a gift, it's wise to say thank you. When was the last time you thanked God for your salvation? Well, if you're here today, you have to do it just by accident. Just by saying certain prayers and singing certain hymns, you're going to say the words. That's what's nice about coming to church. Even if you don't want to do the right thing, if you, if you say the right words, you're halfway there. Now all you have to do is pay attention and think about that new heart that God has given you. He has set you apart. He has set us apart. And we need to teach our children that. We need to teach them that they are different. And because they are different, they need to act differently. We need to get that order. God has made you different. He's created you differently. Therefore, you have to act in a certain way. If you travel around the country, you realize that different parts of the country have different customs, different accents, um, different ways of dealing with things. And if you're smart and you move to a different part of the country, you try and figure out the lay of the land and then you try and fit in if it's, if it's not a sinful thing. For instance, those of you who were raised in western Pennsylvania your whole life, if you were all of a sudden... Move back to my old neighborhood in North Jersey. You would most likely quickly stop saying pop. You would start to say soda. For one very simple reason. Nobody would know what you were talking about. And some people would actually laugh at you. They would kind of a pop. A pop in North Jersey means a punch. Now, I'm going to pop you. It's just a phrase. Soda pop. That's what it is. It's soda pop. One, one group says the first word. The other group says the second. I have no idea what they say in Colorado. I don't know. Never been there. I've never been to Spain either. I've never been to Oklahoma. Different words mean different things in different places. As Christians, wherever you go, wherever you go as a Christian, you're a citizen of a different place. And we have to have the exact opposite effect on where we go. You see, when you travel around as a Christian, you're a mobile, literally a mobile representation of the living God. And when you enter a room, when you go to a place, other people are supposed to notice how you act, how you speak, how you handle things. And they are to change who they are. It's called being a witness giving a testimony in life and in word. But the change has to first happen in our ears. We first have to hear the word of God, that we're saints and that we're set apart. So then we have to say thank you and we have to give acknowledgement of the glory of the giver. In that little analogy illustration of the favorite uncle who gave you something, just imagine the person being unimaginably rich. The one rich uncle in, in, in the whole family. And he gives you this fantastic gift. 
You're going to brag about this guy now, aren't you? Because you're in league with him. He gave me this thing. Look what he gave me. Look what he gave me. And that's what Paul does in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Where? With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You see, the doctrine leads to doxology. I want you to remember those double Ds. Doctrine leads to doxology. Now let me teach you a little doctrine. Do you know what the word doxology means? We sing it every Sunday. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. It means to praise. To praise. So if you believe the right things, if you know the right things, then you will say the right things about God. And our lives are to be a living doxology. A living testament to the glory of God. Now, if you're looking at the text itself, you'll notice that the word be is in italics. That means it's not there in the original. This is the section, the famous section that I've told you about. Verse 13 through 14 in the Greek is one long sentence. It's like a waterfall that just never seems to have no beginning and it seems to have no end. It just keeps cascading. And when Paul wrote this under the inspiration of spirit, you can get the sense that he was just so overcome by the blessings of God and who God was that it was just he must have been writing so fast or dictating it to his scribes so fast. It just came out. No stops. No, hardly any even commas. Just... Now, most English translations do break it up into smaller sentences just so we can understand what he's saying. We have to remember that this isn't just the word of a man. This is the word of God coming through a man. And he was so excited when he wrote this passage that he just, he just literally went off. Kids, if you were to write a sentence this long for your English class, you would get marked off unless you really, truly know how to use commas properly. And to write a sentence that long takes an extremely well-educated mind. It's hard to write a long sentence. It's even harder to write a long sentence than actually make sense. When you read this sentence, verse 3 through 14, there's no fat on it. It's lean. It's concise. It is packed. Blessed. You could easily say blessed is the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is echoing the ancient Jewish... Remember, Paul is a Pharisee. He's a Jew. A Jew, a Pharisee of Pharisees, he says. This is an ancient Jewish form of prayer. This is almost like a psalm. Blessed be the Lord our God. Now, there isn't a little Ephesians thing I want you to do today. You don't have it in your bulletin. You know why? Because here it is. Verse 3. I want you to use verse 3 in Ephesians once a day as a prayer. That's all you have to do. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's a perfect prayer. That's a perfect prayer. If you said it three or four times a day, 
And let's say you did it three or four times a day at mealtime, morning, noon, dinner, even if you don't eat those meals. You just said that one, one verse, that one sentence, three times a day for a year, you'd have it memorized. It would be in you. It would be, it would be in your bones. You're praising God. You're acknowledging Him as God and Father. And it's amazing that He's called God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't understand these terms because we're talking about the doctrine of the Trinity. And when you look at verses 3 through 14, it's somewhat artificial, but you can kind of break it up into the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in succession. You don't have to, but it's there. Can you say this in honesty? Maybe not with these words, but can you say that honestly? Now, blessed, we have to explain that word. Blessed, you know, it's not as if we're blessing God. As if we're giving something to Him. You cannot give something to an eternal, perfect being. He needs nothing from you. You can give Him nothing. You can never surprise Him. Um, You can never impress Him. So stop trying. It's a fruitless exercise. Do you know who did impress Him? His only begotten Son. His only begotten Son, that little baby in a manger, grew to be a perfect man who never once sinned. That man impressed God the Father. Impressed Him so much that He accepted Him as a sacrifice for your sins. So we come to God through Christ because Christ has already impressed the Father because we acknowledge we can, you know, we can give Him nothing. We can give Him nothing. Everything we have is a gift from Him. All we can do is steward those gifts and use them properly for His service. And you cannot live a fulfilled Christian life if you're not praising God. This is one of the reasons why so many of us, even if we're well-meaning Christians, feel so dry inside. Do you ever feel that way? As if your insides are like dry wood just ready to be broken, just snap. A lot of it is because we don't praise God. We We just don't praise Him. Praise and thanks kind of mesh together. If we get into the habit of praising God in small little sentences throughout the day, that, 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 that dryness inside will change. It has to. Because then you're thinking about all the good things that God has given you. You see, we become dry inside because we don't think about what God has given us. And this is not an easy task to do. If it was easy, we'd all be doing it. And none of us would feel that dryness inside. Rather like my throat feels right now. There's water right behind me. I'm desperately wanting to grab it and drink it, but I'm going to wait. As the deer pants for living water, so my soul pants for you. 
it's perfectly natural to feel that dryness because we live in a fallen world. But are you going to the fount of all blessings? Christ, the living water. And Christ made the prophecy in John. He said, all those who come to me shall, shall, shall be those who are give living water. Are, are, you, are you living water to those around you? Do you realize that your unsaved loved ones and friends, whether they know it or not, are dying of dehydration? They don't know it, but they're thirsty. Are you showing them to the living water? Simply by acting like a saint. That's all you have to do. Act like a saint. Talk like a saint. And guess what? You can do it. You have to do it. Now I see the look in your eyes. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. I might get through 1230 maybe. Maybe if I put forth a superhuman effort. But what if I told you you already had it? That it wasn't something you had to acquire. It was just something you had to tap into. I went to go make a cup of tea last night, and I do use a microwave. It's just, I know it does something weird to the water, but I don't care. It's quick, it's fast, the water gets real hot. And all of a sudden, it just stopped. I thought, really? So I start hitting the buttons. Those of you who know me can, can picture the scene. I'm hitting buttons, there's no beeps. So I press them a little harder. There's no beeps. There's no electricity in it. I thought, okay, there's electricity everywhere but here. Probably a circuit breaker. Rocket scientist here. So I go downstairs. Oh, the laundry machine that I was using, that's not working either. NASA, NASA level rocket scientists here. They're on the same circuit breaker. Sure enough, just flip the switch. They all turn on. The, the power was already there. I just need to flip the switch. That's all you need to do. The power is already in you. You have to flip the switch. How do I know that? Because of this doxology. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who? Who? Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. This is past tense. It's past tense 2,000 years ago. Has blessed us. How many of you are running around looking for the blessing of God? Asking God for blessing. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But when was the last time you praised Him for what He's already given you if you're a saint? Uh, notice it. Every spiritual blessing. Not a couple. Each of us has been given the exact same spiritual blessings. And how much? Totally. Every. Every spiritual blessing. I can't emphasize this is not talking about Cadillacs. It's not earthly because they're in the heavenly places in Christ. These are invisible blessings. Now, God may give us material blessings, but we need to begin to praise God from whom all blessings flow. 
and not just once a week on Sunday together, but as, as our, our very lives, you've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. So Paul tells us what we, who's been, who gave it to us? God the Father. What's he given us? Every spiritual blessing. Where is it given to us? In the heavenly places. And who is it stored in? In Jesus Christ. That's, it's, it's a wonderful chronological order. You already have the blessing. That's the doctrine. The doxology is you simply acknowledging that you already have the blessing. If you do that, your life will, your life will change completely. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we bless your most holy and perfect name. For you, the giver of all good things, have given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Almighty oh, God, please, please help us to remember that and to never forget this very simple verse. Thank you for calling us out and making us saints in your sight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.